We are in the middle of this awesome series built entirely around relationships. And last week, if you missed the message from Pastor Doug, um, I'd go back and listen to the podcast. But he set this premise right from the top when he said, relationships are the crucible. They, uh, they reveal, they expose. Relationships have some of our highest highs, our lowest lows, right? And uh, I heard this quote this week, relationships, we are formed in them, we are harmed in them, but we heal in them. Like, relationships. And so we use this metaphor as brick by brick to ask this question, how do we lay a solid foundation to build our relationships on? And last week, um, it was great because my wife, Chrissy, was with me, uh, and she was here because I don't, I don't know if you know, some of you, you know, missed church because of snowpocalypse last week, um, but uh, I'm no longer a guest uh, here. I'm now part of the family. John, thank you. I was just looking for a few boos, you know, because there's some boo birds in here. I heard them during Kansas City. Um, my wife was sitting next to me and Doug was preaching and she, she said something that was so profound. We were talking about this idea of, you know, foundation in our relationships and she leaned over and she said, you know, sometimes when we're dealing with foundations in our relationship, it isn't the bricks that we add, it's the bricks that we need to remove. And I was like, dang girl. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? Like... When we think about foundations, you don't have to be a rocket science to know that if you have a poor foundation on a home, well, well like this one, show, show that foundation. Yeah, when you have a house that's built on something like that, show the next picture. This is what your house ends up looking like, right? You don't have to have a degree in engineering to understand what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter seven when he said this, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain can come down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fail because it had its foundation on the rock. Listen, here's the reality. When we think about foundations, when we think about laying the right kind of foundations in our lives, the first reality is this. All of us, none of us here are fresh dirt, right? None of us are. You're not like the Montaigne, which you're like, oh, you're looking for houses. Um, you're not like fresh dirt where nothing has happened. The truth is all of us have lived life. All of us have pieces from our past that have found their way into our foundations. We're not brand new. And so what is it that we have built on? Like when we look back over our lives, what have we been attached to? Our foundation if it's cracked and messed up, I'm telling you, it will affect every area of your life, especially your relationships. And so if we're gonna build lasting relationships, we have to ask ourselves a couple questions today. What have you built on? What are you attached to? 
what's behind the decisions that we make inside of our relationships. And as my good friend Steve Carter puts it, what is the thing beneath the thing? Now, I'm indebted to a few friends um, for this talk, two people that really helped me out. One is um, a good friend of mine, Michelle Cushat, and, and another good buddy of mine, Steve Carter. In fact, he wrote this book. It's called The Thing Beneath the Thing. And um, I'd, if, if you want to really understand how do we build right foundations and take this message even further, grab this book. It's absolutely fantastic. But I want to start with this. Have you ever... Have you ever seen somebody do something where you ask yourself a simple question, what is wrong with them? You ever had one of those moments, you know, driving, see somebody in a parking lot? This happened to me just recently. I was at a Target and um, I I was uh, getting in my car and I noticed this fella coming out. He had just unloaded one of his plastic carts, you know, got his groceries out of it. And he went over and you know they have those stalls where you put the carts and and they're supposed to fit together. The carts are supposed to fit together. You know, they have a little sliding thing and you slide it in. And so the fellow was, I think, trying to be a good citizen and not just leave his cart out there. He was trying to push it in and slide it into the next cart. And I noticed like when he went to slide the cart in, and I don't know why I noticed it, I just saw it catch. And, and he stopped for a second and he pulled it out and it caught again and, and, and then he pulled it out a third time and he pushed it and it wouldn't go in. And you know, like normally you just leave it. You're like, this is not gonna fit. But something happened with this fella. I mean, he, something snapped and no joke, he pushed it and then he pushed it again, and then he started shaking it, and it became a thing. Like, he's freaking out. I'm like, brah, it's, it's just a cart. Leave the cart alone, you know? And I looked at him, and I started to think, what is this fellow thinking? What's going on? Because it has nothing to do with that cart. Whatever's happening in that moment has nothing to do with the cart. And have you ever had an experience with your spouse or with your kids or with a close relationship where they snapped and you go, bro, what's going on? What's wrong with you? Then I wondered, have you ever, have you ever, have you ever been that person? Like, like, where something like came out of you that you just don't know where it came from. You know, like a monster that was like, you know? Why do we do the things we do? Because answering that question really does affect every relationship we have. And this question is age old. The Apostle Paul, he asked the same question. In Romans 7, 15, he says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. What I do, I hate to do. Let's be honest for a second, just for a minute. Have you ever had a moment where like that thing just rose up? Somebody said something to you. Um, Maybe someone was late for a meeting. You felt slightly disrespected. It seemed really small, but you could feel it. You know that it, the thing, the burning, it's coming. It's coming out, right? If you've ever had one of those moments where something, somebody stepped on something and this 
thing came out, welcome to being human, you have been what they called triggered. Now triggered's a simple concept. Emotional triggers or mental health triggers or psychological triggers, it's a really simple concept. They are memories, objects, people that spark an intense negative reaction. Like this emotion. And this change in emotion, it can be abrupt, and in most cases, it will feel more severe than what the trigger would logically call for, i.e., that poor cart at Target, right? This is a trigger. And, And normally, triggers come from somewhere else, but they manifest themselves in this moment. I like to call them a setup for the blow up. Somebody brushes against something that threatens you for some reason and you lose it. Again, this isn't a modern problem. You see this from the very beginning of scripture. In fact, I'd say one of the most um, maybe famous triggered moments goes back to Genesis chapter four. Now here's the setup, it's two brothers, Cain and Abel. And what we know about these two is we believe they were probably twins because of how the Bible describes their birth. But if you think about them in the context of a relationship, there are no two people who are more connected than brothers are. And there are no two people inside the relationship of like being siblings than twins. And I know this firsthand because my wife is an identical twin. Yeah, like they speak a language that no one else speaks, right? They are connected in such a unique way, and that's Cain and Abel. They're brothers who love each other deep in relationship. And then the, and the Bible tells us, like, um, Abel was a shepherd, and Cain, who was firstborn, was like his father. He cultivated the ground. And now, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, something happens. It says, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. And Abel also brought a gift, the best portion of the firstborn lamb from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry. He was triggered. And we know he was triggered because you just have to skip a few verses later and it says in verse eight, one day Cain suggests to his brother, hey, let's go up to the fields. And um, while they were in the field, Cain blew up, attacked his brother and he killed him. I mean, you see a story like this and you ask yourself, why do these things happen? Like, why are we actually triggered? Why do we find ourselves in moments with people we love absolutely losing it and creating lasting damage? Because it happens all the time. One of the things I've learned about the process of being triggered and this foundational work is that oftentimes what is at the heart of a trigger, that's part of a trigger and follows a trigger is a story. A story that you're telling yourself about that moment. Now that story you're telling yourself may feel true, it may feel real, but it may be grounded in something other than the moment. 
It may be grounded in something that happened to you years ago. It may be grounded in a trauma in the past. It's a story we tell ourselves when we're triggered like, oh, he's saying that because he really doesn't love me. Oh, he's doing that because he's gonna leave. Oh, that coworker is acting that way because he's out to get me. He thinks I'm not smart. He doesn't respect me. He thinks I'm a loser. I think I'm a loser. A story that we tell ourselves on repeat. And when we step or someone steps on that trigger, the stories flare, and then we react. You know, I've begun to understand that this is part of all of us. This isn't like to a few people who've had some bad things happen to us. All of us find ourselves in these moments where we've been triggered by something someone does and then we tell ourselves a story and we react. And we all carry a story. One of the things I've been trying to practice in my own life is understanding that if I bring a narrative into this, so does somebody else. Like the person on the other side of me, they have a story too and they're carrying something too. I had it happen like literally this week. I had a text from someone I know really well, a friend, and it was really, really hard. And the text could have been taken really, really personally, but I found myself for a moment just stopping and going, okay, Eric, what story are you telling yourself about this moment, and what story is he telling himself? I, I came across this quote, and it, it just seems to be so true and something that I want so much to be a part of my relationships. It's by Father Gregory Boyle. He says, I want to stand in awe of what people are carrying, not in judgment of how they're carrying it. We get triggered, we tell ourselves a story, and then this cycle goes to its logical conclusion. Oftentimes, we then escape. Now, not always physically. We don't always try to leave the situation, but these escapes, which are just metaphoric places that we go to escape the pain of our stories, they bring some temporary relief. So, you know, some of them are quite innocuous. We go to the gym, you know, go for a run. But some of them aren't. We escape to food or to sex or to substances, we veg out, we zone out, we scroll, we escape. And these escapes, in these moments, they're cheap substitutes for the real thing. They avoid what's actually happening. They just sort of let everything calm down. They're escapes, and these escapes, I'm telling you, they are destructive, ultimately. You know, the very things in our trauma, in these moments that keep us alive, ultimately end up being the very things that slowly kill us. This is the cycle. Triggers, stories, escapes. I could spend so much time just there. But what this really is, is just a cycle of a broken foundation. That's all it is. 
It's a cycle of a broken foundation. Haven't you ever seen like, doesn't it feel like your relationships, especially when they have brokenness, they're on repeat. It's not like you guys have drive-by problems, right? It's not like it just springs up one day. It's like our problems tend to come back again and again and again. It's just a cycle of a broken foundation. So what do we do? What do we do? How do you do this? What do you do with it? I was thinking of like, what's a really great analogy? And my friend Michelle and I were talking about it. She, she started talking about this game. It's the game that's on every single playground in America that nobody's actually ever really played. Tetherball. <laughs> right? It's like everywhere. And it's like, have you ever played tetherball? I don't know. You go out there and you hit it one time, you're like, I don't know. And you walk away, right? That's tetherball. But, but it does provide a good visual aid. Think about a tetherball. It's like this volleyball that is attached to a string that's then attached to this pole. And then that pole is planted firmly into the ground, right? It's solid. So you can hit the ball, but it doesn't go very far away from that foundational component. It's, it's grounded. And you know, one of the things that is true about our triggers is that almost every trigger that you're going to run up against this cycle of a broken foundation is really about a singular thing. You may think it's about something that someone did to you, but ultimately it boils down to a singular thing. It almost always boils down to the same thing, and that is this, who you are, your identity. Think about it. These things that happen to me that are part of my, the foundations, my attachments, they're all stories that maybe someone did to you, but it's stories about who you think you might be, who you are. And what I'm learning, what I'm learning is that if you're gonna ever heal triggers, which means fix relationships, that you have to learn how to attach to something that doesn't change. If you're that ball, and you think about that as an analogy, when you unattach from that foundational pole, that ball can be kicked anywhere. And this is why the Apostle Paul writes this. He says in Ephesians 3, 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, listen, being rooted and established rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. Our triggers, these stories, our responses, these are about identity, who we are. And when someone steps on it, they threaten who we think we are who we believe we are, what someone told us we were. Moments long ago somehow creep their way into every relationship we have. I mean, think about Cain and Abel. Poor Abel was just wrong place, wrong time, right? Because Cain, this was a story he was telling himself. God rejected his offering, but what Cain saw was a rejection of me. 
Maybe God was gonna teach him something about how we bring offering, about what's most important. But this is what we do know, is Cain was attached to the offering. His attachment was to that thing. And when that thing got blown up, he went, what do I do? Some of you know this. You're so attached to your work that if and when your work were to go away, you go, what do, what do I do? Some of you walking through retirement, you're struggling with it right now because much of your attachment was to this thing that meant so much. And listen, work is good. It's good. It's just not permanent. And when it goes away, you go, what do I do? Chrissy and I are close to being empty nesters. Like we have two more years and we're already like, our family's changing, what do you do? What are we attached to? You see, when we fail to address these foundational, these foundational components of attachment, these bricks that are fragments of a broken identity, we will continue to sabotage our relationships. Being rooted. A ball with no anchor just floats around. But when we're attached to something permanent, something changes. Now listen. So many of us have lived our lives looking at a cracked foundation, knowing that I'm attached to a bunch of things that happened to me and I'm gonna do my best, I'm gonna work really hard and I'm just gonna paint it over, right? I'll just, as Jesus says, whitewash it. If maybe I whitewash it, if I just paint it, I make it pretty, I work hard enough, I have enough money, then maybe nobody will know that underneath all this, the thing beneath the thing is like a real broken identity. But it doesn't work. Whitewashing doesn't work. Trying harder doesn't work. When it comes to identity, this is what I've learned, is your real identity cannot be achieved. It can only be received. It can't be achieved. It can only be received, this anchoring identity. Now, does that mean that in this process of becoming who God had me to become and who he thought me up to be that it won't take work. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, in mental health circles, that's the reason why we call this foundational work, work. There's like stuff we have to do, things we have to participate. As, as a, a mentor of mine said, Dallas Willard, without Jesus, you can do nothing. But if you do nothing, it will be without Jesus. We have work to do, but when it comes to the foundations of our identity, you cannot achieve it. You can only receive it. And so let me just remind you of two things, two simple things that are true to you right now. Let me, let me can I show you in a little example? So I want you to imagine this is your brain, right? This is your brain on drugs. No, no, that's not where I'm going. <laughs> so I want you to imagine this is your brain, okay? And anytime someone steps on or triggers you, pokes at these cracks in our foundation, what happens is in your brain is these protectors of your amygdala fire open, okay? 
the logical part of your brain that keeps it all together. You know, like after the fact, a few days later when you go, how is it that I said that? It's because this thing shoots open and this, the amygdala that doesn't have any governor, it's just pure feeling, just starts going right there, right? That's what happens in a trigger. Now, do you know what research science will tell you a way, the fastest way through a trigger is? This is amazing. One safe person by your side. If you have one safe person by your side, you go here, they can be like, the story's not true. That's not true. What you're telling yourself isn't true. Hey, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be safe. It's gonna be fine, right? Logical mind wraps back around this. Now, now listen to this. This is what's so brilliant. What have you received? If you're a follower of Jesus, the scriptures tell us in Romans 8 that the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in you. Said a different way. The incarnation, God becoming flesh, is God giving us one safe, significant other that will always be with you. So he's already given you a tool to get through the brokenness, right? He's given you a tool that when you feel it and you're flooded, there is this spirit inside you. When it's like this, they can say, that's not true. That story's not true. You don't need to escape to that. You're safe. I'm with you. It's why Jesus called him the comforter. But here's what's also beautiful. Not only has he given us God's spirit that can walk with us in these moments when we're flooded, but he's given us through the spirit someone who will give us the power to deconstruct, heal, and rebuild the stuff that we're attached to. This safe presence that is with us always. A firm foundation, something that doesn't change, something that's safe to attach to. Now, will it take work? Absolutely, absolutely. One of the hardest journeys over the last five years is I've been on this journey of attachment and like, how do I begin to undo some of the crazy stuff from my past that shows itself in relationships all over the place is the work of detaching myself from these things and receiving who God says I am. And it's practice, it's practice. I'm telling you, it doesn't happen overnight because some of you may leave right now and go in the parking lot and be triggered. <laughs> How did you learn to drive that way, right? It's practice of saying, that's not true, those stories aren't real, and coming back, this is why this is such a powerful tool for us. God's spirit in us. But I can tell you that the phrase that you cannot teach an old dog new tricks, that's just not true. Because I'm actually an old dog. I just pretend to be a little bit younger than I am. You can, you can, through the power of God's spirit that lives in you, and this is what we anchor to. 
Well, I can't think of a better way to end our time together than to celebrate communion. Well, those of you that came in, you got one of these communion cups. If you didn't get a communion cup, um, you can raise your hand and we have ushers. Listen, and I wanna say like, you don't have to be a member of Plum Creek to receive communion. Um, if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to receive this sacrament. We'll receive it together. But let me tell you why I think in a message like this, this is such a powerful moment. Because Jesus tells his disciples that this communion cup is about remembrance. And it's certainly about remembering what he did. That he was gonna go to the cross and sacrifice himself. But it is in that that it's also a reminder of who we are because of it. Like every time you take communion, it's a chance to remember what Christ did and then remember what that means to you. That he died on the cross, yes, so that we could get heaven forever. But I love this phrase, it's not just so that we could get up to heaven up there someday, but so that heaven could come down in here right now. That's what this means. So who are you? You're the reason he went to the cross. You're a beloved child. He thinks you're amazing. He loves you even though you've done some goofy stuff. That's who you are. That's who you are. And every time we take communion, I invite you to thank Jesus not only for what he did, but for what that means for you. So, let's share communion. And the bottom is the bread. You can tear that open and take that out. And I wanna read a passage the Apostle Paul writes about the words that Jesus used when they celebrated this first communion. He said this, he said, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember and take the bread. And in the same way, he then took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. Will you join me and pray? God, we are so grateful for your sacrifice, what you did for us and what it means for us that we are beloved children of yours, that you would go to the ends of the earth for us and that we can be anchored in that foundational truth that we are beloved children of God. May that be planted deep in our foundations. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.